Well, hello, Zach Henderson here, and this is a solo podcast. What I thought I would do is address some questions I got off of Instagram the other day. And being a personal trainer and being in the kettlebell community as well as the powerlifting scene, you always get a lot of these questions that are kind of either or and pit exercises against each other. So I'm always one to say that there's a time and a place for everything, but I thought a podcast might be a cool format to kind of flesh out some of my ideas. So let's get into it. So the first question came in around the difference, the pros and cons between push-ups and bench pressing. So they are obviously both pressing exercises, but they're fundamentally different. And again, obviously the push-up involves pushing yourself away from an immovable object, which would be the ground. And the bench press is settling your body against an immovable object, like the ground or a bench, and pressing a barbell away from you, or dumbbells, or whatever else you may happen to grab. So, in general, and this should come as no surprise, I like to train patterns with newbies with the body weight variations, right? So when somebody comes into the gym, we don't teach them how to squat with a weight, even if it's a goblet squat, right? Even if it's like a kettlebell front squat, the very first thing that we do is we get someone comfortable with moving their joints under gravity and their own body weight. Nine times out of 10, that's the most appropriate thing to do. Same thing like with the hip hinge. We don't get somebody deadlifting or swinging a kettlebell right off the bat. We show them how to properly hinge the hips and what you should be feeling as you go through a particular movement pattern. So when it comes to the press, this obviously comes into play here. We don't, we don't want you to have to worry about controlling an extra weight before you're very comfortable and confident controlling your own weight. And really that could be something as simple as just holding a straight arm plank, push-up position plank. It's a great place to start. And then working into the push-up where you're obviously, you know, bending your, your elbows. So really for beginners and even for advanced folks who, you know, need to fill movement and mobility gaps, it always benefits you to go back to the basic movement patterns under no load and see how well you can find intention and a mind-muscle connection with the appropriate muscle groups in the appropriate way, just moving with your own body. So speaking of tension, that's probably the biggest mistake I see when most people bench press, is they're too loose. They're pressing with a loose body. That's like the number one mistake, I think, of every pressing variation. Military press, bench press, you know, whatever. So... Even though a press, a bench press, or a push-up is technically like a shoulder and a pec and a tricep exercise, 
really the key is what's going on with the rest of the body, how the rest of the body is tightening and engaging and stabilizing itself so that there's no excess movement, right? So we've all seen somebody who's doing a push-up that really looks more like a, like a, flippy floppy like upward dog kind of kind of motion right where people's hips sag and their neck cranes up and all this other stuff not in general what we want to be going for so really the rest of the body has a role to play in the push-up not just the arms the elbows and and the shoulders obviously so i bring that up to say that we can learn this skill of total body tension far easier in something like a push-up than we can with a bench press. Because again, it's a low stakes, high feedback environment when you're in a plank position, when you're doing you know push-ups. You can really, by taking your time, you can really connect with all the major muscle groups in your body. The quads, even the calves, the glutes, the abs, the lats, obviously the pecs, the core. And when you're you know, doing that in a push-up position, again, that's way safer than running that checklist in your mind with a barbell over your face. So again, that's another kind of, kind of checkbox, if you will, for the push-up, at least for the beginners, is really honing in on mastering this physical skill of total body tension. And that's going to serve you well in all pressing exercises. Now, one more big advantage that the push-up has is the ability that you have to really hone in on scapular mechanics, right? So how your shoulders are actually working and moving through space. So with a bench press, we typically don't want the shoulders to move at all, right? We have like this pinned back, big arch type position, and that's appropriate for something like heavy bench press. But when you're doing a body weight exercise and there's no risk of a bar falling on your face, you can get pretty creative uh, with your scapular mechanics. Again, under you know, proper, proper tension. So like, for example, at the top of a pushup, you can protract your scapulas, your shoulder blades, kind of almost looking like a rounding of the upper back, kind of like a hunch, almost looking like hunchback. And you may think, well, that's poor technique. And in general, you would be right. That's typically not a posture we really want to adopt but that is shoulder protraction, and that is moving the shoulder blades away from each other, and the shoulders kind of rounding forward in a controlled way. And if you can do that while maintaining strong arms, pushing against the ground, that's actually a fantastic uh, upper back and upper body movement, because being able to control protraction and retraction equally is very important for shoulder health. And again, that's generally not really something you're going to be able to really practice all that uh, effectively with something like a bench press. 
or all that, you know, safely for that matter. You know, another thing that I like to pair up with push-ups is like an upward dog, downward dog posture, right? So doing a push-up and then piking the hips up and actively pushing the arms away so that you drive your, you know, biceps down by your ears. So there you're going from like a horizontal orientation to the ground to more of a vertical orientation to the ground. And then same thing, when you sink into an upper dog, the hips drop again, if that's appropriate for you, doing it under control. All this to say, you can work the shoulder through these angles, up kind of into an overhead angle to straight in front of you, and then almost kind of like down, almost like into a, like a dip position when you're getting into that upper dog stretch there. So all that to say that, again, the push-up allows you creative freedom a little bit to move around safely, to really tap into these different angles uh, with the shoulders, with shoulder stability and strength. And these are all important strategies. These are all important patterns to explore to really make sure you're bulletproofing your shoulders and that you're training them in the best way possible. Of course, the push-up has its limits. So if you're someone who can knock out 20, 25 push-ups flat on the ground, then push-ups are no longer your problem, right? So if you wanna get a stronger upper body, if you want muscular hypertrophy of the arms, the chest, the shoulders, then you're gonna wanna look at adding load. And this is obviously where barbells and dumbbells come into play. So once you have your shoulder mechanics really dialed in and your bench press setup dialed in, which is a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast, um, the magic of the barbell lies in the ease of progressive overload. So progressive overload is like the tenant, the pillar, the first and last commandment of strength training and of gaining muscle a lot of the times. But mostly we're talking about uh, physiological strength adaptations here. So let's say that you bench press 135 for 10 reps last week, and this week you bench press 140 for five reps you have achieved a PR, a personal record, and you have progressively overloaded the bench press quite simply and easily. You can't exactly do that with a push-up. I mean, obviously you can. There are harder variations that you can do for the same number of reps, but things get a little fuzzy, right? Like you could go to one arm push-ups, you could, you know, incline the feet into like a decline position push-up. But again, you're really starting to change the mechanics and the muscles used when you start getting into variations of bodyweight exercises. And that is great in many situations. But if you want to keep things simple, if you want to keep things manageable, if you really want to kind of parse out, okay, 
how am I going to be able to progress week over week? Well, this is where like the barbell and the dumbbells really shine. Because again, you can keep the same number of sets and reps and, and volume, and you can tweak up the intensity. You can turn up the, uh, the amount of weight used week over week. Now, obviously you can't do that forever. You're gonna hit a roadblock, but suffice it to say, you can keep the same technique and add intensity with a barbell, with the bench press. And that's not really something that you can do with a push-up or many other body weight exercises because that necessitates a change in leverage to progress, right? Because, I don't know, unless you plan on packing on some extra pounds, then <laughs> obviously that's one way to progress your body weight exercises. But otherwise, you're looking at changing the leverages, which changes the techniques. And then you're kind of talking about a completely different exercise. You know, if you think about like putting your hands up on the countertop for like elevated push-ups versus doing like one arm, one leg push-ups, you're really talking about fundamentally different exercises. But again, if you're gonna progress in that manner, that's kind of what you have to do. So that's why barbells, dumbbells, that's why they are such valuable tools because you can remain consistent in your technique and just add weight a little bit at a time. So bottom line, it depends on your goals and it depends on where you are in your training journey. Obviously, if you are stuck at home or for whatever reason you wanna dedicate yourself to a minimalist style of training, then the push-up is your best friend. And again, it's easily scalable from hands elevated all the way down to like one arm and one arm, one leg push-ups. And you can get super strong, don't, don't get me wrong. You can get very strong and you can get a decent amount of hypertrophy out of high volume push-ups as well. You just kind of want to consider that, you know, push-ups, when you start getting into the more advanced variations, just like pull-ups, you might be hamstrung by the uh, recoverability of your connective tissue more than your actual muscles. So what does that mean? Usually it means you tweak an elbow or a wrist or a shoulder before you reach like a muscular failure point, you know, in, in a given workout. So these are things that you want to watch out for. Just these little, uh, just these little injuries that can kind of creep up when you're doing those higher intensity body weight exercises. Obviously that's, you know, you can have injuries and, um, you know, nagging issues with any style of training, but again, with like high repetition push-ups or one-arm push-ups, they can creep up pretty fast. So just bear that in mind. And then again, if you really wanna maximize your absolute strength and absolute muscle gain, potential for muscle gain, you're gonna wanna be a student of the bench press. Doesn't necessarily have to be the barbell bench press. Heavy dumbbells work too. Uh, but again, it's not an either-or conversation. Both are amazing, but I would really have to plant a flag in the ground and say that 
you've got to master the basic body weight push-up before you go loading with the bench press. Next question asked about the American swing versus the Russian kettlebell swing. This will be the last question we get to today because this solo podcasting thing is hard. So first of all, I think it's about time that Canada gets its own exercise. We've got Russian swing, American swing, Romanian deadlift, Copenhagen plank. What else do we have? Romanian deadlift. Did I mention that one? have all these ridiculous exercises named after places and countries. I think it's high time that Canada get her due. In any case, if you're not familiar, the Russian swing, which really I think sh- probably should be called the hard style swing, because as far as I know, it's named after Pavel, Pavel Tsetsulin, the evil Russian. And he came up with the curriculum, the methodology of hard style of which I'm a pretty big fan and where I base most of my training from. So personally, I think it should be called the hard style swing. Why bring any of the, any of the other Russians into it? I digress. The Russian swing or the hard style swing is obviously what you've seen me do. What you've seen me do. If you've seen me exercise on the internet. (laughs) Uh, And that is a deep hip hinge, Right, so throwing the kettlebell back like a football hike pass, and then standing up tall and straight, squeezing the glutes, slamming the hips forward into a snap, but not hyperextending the hips. That's a huge, huge point, is we don't want the hips to travel forward of the body. We want them to lock out straight with a rigid but neutral torso. Very subtle, but so many people overswing. They throw their hips too far forward. In any case, we do that. And then in general, we allow the bell to float up to around chest height. And then we bring it back down. Now, I got to say this. Most of the time, whenever you're swinging a kettlebell, it just naturally floats up to chest height. And like to get it any higher, we would have to use the arms and the shoulders to raise the weight and this is where the american swing comes in because in the american swing theoretically all the same hip hinge rules apply but you raise the weight directly overhead now some will say that you should use your shoulders to do that others would say you should allow the momentum of the bell to just travel freely all the way up overhead But for goodness sakes, let's be honest, you'd have to be swinging something so light to have the bell go, you know, to 12 o'clock over your head that it would hardly even be worth lifting in the first place. And then in, in that case, just what are we doing? In any case, I digress. When the bell comes down, again, both styles of swing theoretically should be the same. You throw the kettlebell back into a hike pass and you repeat. So the thing that I really like about the hard style swing is that there's there's a really kind of unique yin and yang to it. Like you squeeze your butt, you snap the hips forward, it's a hard hip extension, and you keep pressure through the abs 
through the hips and you're standing tall and at attention and you're letting the bell float and even though your body remains quite engaged there's uh, it's it's kind of a hard it's kind of a hard thing to explain it's kind of like tension and relaxation boom 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 back and forth so so there's kind of a unique rhythm to it and that's one of the special things about about the swing now when you artificially elongate the rhythm so to speak by raising the kettlebell straight up overhead as you do in the american swing most of the times just from the people that i've seen perform it and i've seen people who get paid to be crossfitters perform it um there's there's this really weird kind of loosey goosey sloppiness to it you know it's kind of almost like a <laughs> you could almost compare it to like a, a kipping pull-up. So yes, kipping pull-ups and using momentum has its like time and place. But man, you really just have to think about like, what are we actually doing here? Like, what's the point? What is the point? And I really haven't been able to hear a convincing argument for the American Swing or again, probably what we should call the CrossFit swing, because as far as I know, like that's that's the only reason it's a thing. It's the only reason it's a technique that anybody does is because you either do it in CrossFit or you learn it from CrossFit. I I don't know if it was even a thing before CrossFit. So in any case, I, I really haven't heard a good argument for taking the bell completely overhead in that manner other than to artificially lengthen the range of motion and you know people will say like oh like you know there's more work being done well really really how much more work is actually being done because your hips have locked out your hips aren't doing anything else most of the time people kind of have a open ribcage positions, like a hyperextension of the lower back. Uh, so is your core really doing that much work? And then you could say, oh, well, are the, are the delts and the traps doing more work? And again, some people will say, according to technique, they shouldn't. Others will say they should. And if you do want more delt upper back work, well, you could do a high pull or you could do a snatch, or you could just do a slow controlled front to overhead raise, like, like with a weight plate. That's actually one of my favorite shoulder exercises. But when you have your hands smushed together in you know the two hand swing position, once you start getting over shoulder and chest height, this, you know your shoulders start getting jammed in. You, you, you know, fall into like that, uh, you know, kind of weird internal rotation, I guess, like, you know, as you go overhead. Can some people handle it? Absolutely, I'm sure. Can most people? Is it appropriate for most people's shoulders? I don't think so. I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon here, but we have to go back to, like, first principles. And if we're training, then we have to ask, what are we training for? So if you want a good, strong, explosive hip hinge, 
do swings, absolutely. But you should be doing your swings heavy enough to where it actually counts. And if you're going to be swinging a heavy kettlebell, even the, the CrossFitters will say, like, it's not appropriate to swing a super heavy kettlebell overhead. Well, no kidding. So if you need to be swinging heavy to get a training stimulus in the first place, then by definition, it's not going to go over your head. And then if you do want something that's more of a combination exercise or something that's going to give you a conditioning response, well, man, we have so many options. So, I don't know. Is the American swing bad? I think it's bad for a lot of people. I think it's bad for most of the people who I've seen perform it. And again, you know, going back to the old old adage, squats aren't bad for your knees, the way you squat is bad for your knees. I would venture to say the same thing about the swing. The swing isn't bad for your back, it's the way you swing that's bad for your back. And a lot of that comes down to the technique parameters of the lift, and I just think that the parameters of the American swing are wildly inappropriate. But what do I know? For some people, the juice might be worth the squeeze. The risk might be worth the reward. I also don't recommend that you sprint as fast as you can and ram your head directly into a 300-pound man. But if you're under contract with the NFL, well, then that risk might be worth it for you. Same kind of thing. If you make your money in CrossFit in some capacity, well, maybe that's just one of the devils that you have to deal with. So I'm open to being convinced otherwise. I'll go ahead and say that. I, I will actually probably do a American versus Russian swing YouTube video, and I will make it a point to reach out and actually get some more nuanced perspectives here from the CrossFit community or from any reputable coach who might be able to school me otherwise. But until that point, this is what I think. So with that, ooh, it is weird talking into a microphone all by yourself. Hmm. But we did it. We did it for 25 minutes. Uh, so if you've listened this far, thank you so much. And a brief reminder here that my flagship seminar experience, Liftapalooza, is happening again this year, October 16th and 17th, right here in Nashville. We've got guest coaches coming in. Jeff Sokol, Jen Meehan, Ben Swartz, and Tracy Cook. We're going to be going over kettlebell stuff. We're going to be going over powerlifting stuff, mobility, body weight, and we've got all sorts of surprises for you. It's going to be an amazing time. You know, think of this as like a think of this as like a collection of the best parts of a certification weekend. If if you kind of know what that experience entails, um, without any of the not so fun bits like the giant price tag and the snatch test and the pressure and the militant instructors, yada, yada, yada. So there's my pitch. You will find the registration link 
in the description of this podcast or wherever you find me on social media. That's ZachHenderson.com. And until next time, we'll see you.